Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield with Manny Things, and welcome to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting, the show where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you enjoy this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Things. Without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting, the shooting podcast where I talk to whoever I want to in the shooting industry. But first, let's talk. Let's plug today's sponsor. That would be Go Fast, Don't Suck. So go over and check out GoFastDon'tSuck.net. You can go get your banners, your dry fire targets, your jerseys, your shirts for your matches that you may want. Um, if you're a match director, go ahead and hit up Bill. He can probably get you squared away with a good deal on some shirts if you want some shirts for your ROs or something. But anyway, without that, go ahead and check over GoFastDon'tSuck.net. But without further ado, let's get today's topic and guest. Today's guest is Mr. Jason Wood, Targets USA. Jason, how are you doing today, sir? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's it's somewhat spring weather here. I don't know about you. It's, it's Alaska. No, it's, it's snowing here right now. <sighs> does it ever not? Does it ever not snow? Uh, yeah. Two days ago, though, we just got like a record snowfall while I was down in St. George, like eight, uh, 14 inches in one day. But I got to miss that one. <laughs> but but when you came back to the shop, did you have to then plow it out to get into the shop? No, I'm in a big row of rental buildings, so they, they take care of all that. Oh, there you and go. That... Guess why you pay rent, right? <laughs> yeah, I just had to get the snowblower guy with the bobcat to go do my driveway because it's not a shovel-sized driveway. Yeah, no. No, shovel-sized driveways are not fun. No, it's like quarter acre worth of driveway, so it's not uh, it's not something you want to shovel. No, I mean unless you really want to die from a heart attack, I mean, or hypothermia, whichever whichever happens first, I guess, right? Right. Well, Jason, um, some people know who you are. I know a little bit of who you are, but you want to tell the, the common get listener who is Jason Wood and what is Targets USA? I'm uh, up in Alaska, obviously, if you haven't gathered that. Um, I've been doing targets now since just a little bit before 2014. Um, targets USA became a business in 2014, but I also built big snow plows for front end loaders and stuff. So all the metal stuff was was into snow plows and heavy equipment and stuff like that. My background's heavy equipment, which is why Zach and those guys are telling you about me running an excavator and stuff like that, helping them build bays. That's that's what I'm actually better at than shooting. I just don't do it anymore except for helping build ranges. But yeah, I started building targets uh, when the plows were kind of kind of doing their own thing. And, and it evolved pretty quick from there. And now, as most people know, we've got a pretty extensive line of targets. Yeah, you definitely do have a big line of targets. I, I was surprised when I kept searching through all of the target options. I'm like, there's this many targets? And things I didn't even think you had, so. Yeah, it probably needs to be streamlined a little bit, but there's still tons of stuff that I haven't even built because I don't have the time or the resources to, because if I'm going to build it, I got to put it on the shelf or try to put it on the shelf, keep it on the shelf. It, um, it takes quite a bit of money to put a new product on the shelf in, in enough quantity to, to hopefully be able to ship it right away when people order it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff we've, I haven't even started to build yet, so. Well, yeah, and especially since you use flat rate boxes to ship everything, like, yep. like you'd think that'd be unheard of. I, I, I bet the mailman hates you. I don't ever talk to them. I go right to the airport post office and back up to the loading dock and don't have to talk to anybody, so they don't know it's me. Oh, fair enough. So, well, especially with these the the flat rate boxes, you already have a label. You know, you're all ready to go. You just yeah, load it up, back up, load it right into a cart in the post office, and 
and that's it. It also saves the package from getting beat up by a postal carrier picking it up from me. It's just that one less less handling, so the boxes will stay stay together a little better. And we use a lot of tape mm-hmm. try to keep it together. But yeah, everything that people see on the website can fit fit in flat rate boxes. We do have the option to send for ranges and stuff, uh, one piece popper plates and 18 by 24 is like big steel challenge plates and stuff like that, but it doesn't ship for free. And it uh, obviously doesn't come in a flat rate box. Right. But we yeah. do a lot of cl- with uh, bigger plates. Mm-hmm. Well, That's, it's pretty cool to be honest with you. I mean, it's, it's kind of really cool that you're even you're in Alaska, like almost disconnected from the world, but you're still able to ship everywhere and service all these ranges. It, it's quite fascinating. And it costs the same. doesn't matter if I'm shipping it to Seattle or Florida. It still costs the same. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually we've had really good luck with the two piece popper plates. They bolt together right below the score zone. Um, there's a couple, uh, you can call them pros or cons because they bolt together below the score zone. They actually don't, they're quiet. They're quieter when you shoot them. So there's no ding fairy like Steve Anderson likes to say. Mm-hmm. And um, they don't seem to warp they don't seem to cup as fast because of because uh, that rigidity rigidity of the two plates overlapping being bolted together. It actually takes the harmonics away. And uh, the plates are actually seem to last longer in the two piece configuration. The only downside to them is if you want to flip and rotate them, you have to unbolt the two layers and then move them because you want the, the front layer towards the shooter to be the top because you don't want to lip like this for a frag to come off one like that so that's the only downside we've seen but but again we haven't seen them cup so that's not really an issue because you never have to swap them out Mm -hmm. but the advantage with the single plate poppers for ranges with the way our popper works is there is zero hinges or hardware on the plate itself so you can turn it from front to back every time you shoot it Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't have to take a bolt or hinge or anything like that out to be able to flip it back and forth so that's really nice Oh yeah, that's definitely nice. Especially it gives the shooter, even like a personal shooter who wants to go practice all the time, you know, you get so much more life out of that popper. Yep. I know Jay Beal, he likes his pop, he likes his targets USA popper, even though he only shoots three rounds at it a day. <laughs> yeah, he has two piece ones though, because they shipped in a flat rate box to him. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, I mean the, the ranges that have ours and they do if they, they got a system together. If they just leave the last shots, or if you're practicing individual, they just leave the side they shot at last unpainted, and then when they set it up, put that to the back, and then paint it fresh and let it dry while they're shooting the other side, then they know which side to put to the back every time, and they can flip it every single time. Hmm. Same thing goes with the rhino plates, but the rhino plates don't really cup. Right. They're so small. Mm-hmm. But. So, Jason, you said that you're – you were a heavy equipment, you know, background, right? How long were you doing that before you decided to go full-time into targets USA? Since I was in my low to mid, mid teens, still in high school, I started running equipment, got some opportunities, worked for free for a lot of, for, for a lot of hours just to get experience running equipment and got pretty good at that. That's like, as I tell people all the time, I'm a better equipment operator than I am shooter. Mm-hmm. Now, how, is there any piece of equipment you haven't seen on like a job site? Um, haven't seen or haven't ran much? No, well, haven't ran. That'd be a better one. I spent a lot of time like in a road grader. Um, I've spent a little bit of time, but that's that's like the one thing that would have been nice to get more experience in that because they can uh, they can really make some things look good quick. 
and uh, I just never got time to run them much. Yeah. I was always in the big excavators or big dozers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Moving the material. Well, it makes it fast when you can move a lot of material instead of moving up yeah. like a shovel at a time, just move a whole football field, right? I've literally have done that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do they have yeah, football fields in Alaska? Yeah. Yeah. I worked on a job here. I don't even, I don't know how long ago it was, but they were, they were taking out all the grass fields and putting in the turf fields and they had to take all the bad soil out from underneath it, which that's what doesn't matter if you're just growing grass on it. But when you want something not to move, you got to take all the crappy organic material out and put good gravel in and stuff like that with drainage, of course, for those fields and stuff like that. They got all drainage underneath them. So yeah, we, we literally went to school and, and excavated out the entire football field and replaced it with gravel. And uh, that was quite an operation. And they, they couldn't at the time, they didn't have, they couldn't get enough good operators to, to run the job as fast as they want. They were only able to run about a hundred off-road dump truck loads a day. And that wasn't sufficient for what they were trying to do in the time frame they were doing it. And then uh, I went and worked for them and we, we changed production from hundred trucks a day to 300 trucks a day worth of material moving in and out from taking it in and taking it out, dumping it back and forth, just running the trucks in circles. Hmm. Well, at least so, it was efficient, though. It's, uh, it was extremely efficient. Ran those trucks hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, how long did that project take? I don't remember. Hmm. A couple of weeks, probably. I don't remember. Yeah. It now, was already when I got there. And okay. then uh, we stayed afterwards to do all the, the, the fine-tuning, sculpting everything for, for landscaping and whatnot afterwards. And then they moved me to a different school to work on a different football field so i mean i worked on that job with several different schools throughout the summer mm-hmm. for a big company here but that's pretty interesting so when you started you said you officially started targets you say in 2014 what did you when you started this company what was did you see as the biggest efficiency in the steel target market well at first all i was building was stuff for like individuals i wasn't actually competitive shooting at all myself at the beginning mm-hmm so we just made like basic rifle gongs. We be well, we started because a buddy of mine wanted some body armor plates. So we made those and all that was available was AR450. And then once we cut those and we we tested them with 556 five, even at 100 yards, it wasn't sufficient. It wouldn't stop the round. So so we ordered in a sample of AR500 and then tested it for 556 five, and walked it in until we punched a hole. And um that material works a whole lot better than 450, but we had a whole stack. We cut up one, just one sheet of uh, 450 and it works great for pistol stuff. So we're like, well, instead of wasting these, I'm going to make a target stand to hold these chest plates for pistol targets. That's how it started. Had those and then started making some basic gongs and, and it just kept evolving from there. That, that Yes, it definitely has evolved. I will get to some of the innovations here shortly because I have, Plenty of questions about those, that's for sure. Because it's just, it amazes me at the cool things that you've done so far. But did, did you grow up shooting or have a firearms background in your family? Or We've always had firearms. My dad was Air Force. So, I mean, we, we always had guns in the family. We, we always went and shot birds and stuff like that. Camping trips and hunting trips and stuff like that. Had a little twenty two shooting grouse and ptarmigan and stuff like that. Um. When moose, I mean, we've gone moose hunting, caribou hunting, and that kind of stuff too. My dad does that a bunch still. I don't really get into it myself anymore. I'd rather go clean up a steel target 
put it in the truck than have to go butcher an animal and clean it up. It's a lot easier, a lot cleaner. <laughs> yeah. So I don't do much uh, sport hunting and whatnot anymore. My dad does every year, so I can go raid his freezer whenever I need some meat. There you go. That's always how it works. Now a lot all vacuum packed, ready to go. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all, it's all processed. You're all good. You're like, all right, cool. Now, yep. have you always lived in Alaska, or did you move at some yes. age? Yeah, I was born here. Yeah, brought up family, brought up because of the military, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, was born here. Been here my whole life. I'm ready to leave, though. I'm kind of tired of the snow. I mean, it doesn't matter. Wherever you move, the snow's going to follow you because, I mean, it's just like inevitable, right? Like, you could go to Florida or Texas, and now there's going to be snowstorms everywhere, you know? It's like... I have gone to Florida. My my grandparents used to live there. We went to visit them, and it snowed when we got there. That was pretty bad. <laughs> They're probably like, leave now. You brought the my, best word. <laughs> my daughter went to visit her friend and tucson arizona here a few years ago and she went there and it freaking snowed in tucson when she was there it's pretty miserable (laughs) it definitely is now at what point did you get into competition shooting i honestly can't remember the year but it had to have been somewhere 2017 2018 maybe it was a couple few years into doing the target stuff Mm mm-hmm that I actually started shooting it myself. I actually started sponsoring a little bit of the events and got some of the local shooters into like the state match here and whatnot prior to that. Um, and then I'm like, why am I, why am I coming here and sponsoring this and not participating? This looks fun. So then I started shooting on myself and, and it grew a lot from there. Once I started reaching outside of Alaska. Oh yeah. Now what division or what discipline did you start in when you started competing? Well, technically I was in open because at the time I had a um, M and P performance center with a dot on it. So because it had those little serrated co- or little ports in the barrel, it was an open gun. But uh, yeah, I realized pretty quick on that. Well, one, the grip angle on that gun didn't fit me very well. Got a hold of somebody's open, a friend that's open gun here locally, 2011, realized that the grip angle was much better suited for, for my natural point of aim. Mm-hmm. So went after went out and got the first uh, the first 320 X5 regular one and I've been shooting been shooting 320s ever since. Hmm. And I'm running. I've had, I had the regular X5, had the Legion, decked them all out, and now I have the, the 320 Maxes. Yeah, pair, pair of those are sweet. It's kind of hard to beat the value on those Maxes. Yeah, yeah, they're they're sweet, and I have a partnership with Gray Guns as well. I have all the trigger, I have all the trigger kit components and laser stippling. And then I do a bunch of other custom work on the grip too, locally here. And, uh, and I've done some of that and shipped them out to other people, grinding out the mag wells on and relieving behind the tr- the uh, mag release and undercuts on the, I do some grinding and polishing on that kind of stuff as well. Take that angle grinder, right? <laughs> no. no, no, not an angle grinder. <laughs> no Dremel with some nice bits and then polishing them up with sandpaper and everything after that. They're super smooth. They're way more comfortable after the work is done. Yeah. I've, I've shot a couple legions and unfortunately their stock triggers didn't impress me due to the fact that they needed some ovens. A hundred percent agree. The stock triggers are not that great. They're, they're doable for an out of the box gun, but the great gun triggers work good. They're still, I mean, once you shoot a 2011 or something, it has a really nice trigger. They all feel like crap, but 
the, I mean, a two and a half pound, two and two and a half, two and three quarter pound trigger pull with the gray guns kit, um, works, works really well. I mean, when you're shooting, you don't notice it. If you're just sitting there trying to manipulate the trigger, just checking it out, it's going to feel a little spongy and you're not going to really care mm-hmm. too much for the feel, but when you're shooting it, it's, it's a non-issue at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I mean, even, even when I was running a stock lock trigger, you don't, you don't notice it when you're in a match, like, or you're shooting like in, in practice. You notice a clock trigger because all your shots will be left trying to yank the crap out of that thing. So somewhat. hard. I mean, somewhat. I mean, we'll have to put that to a test. We'll have to give Jay a stock lock trigger again. and see. Yeah. That would be interesting. It would be. See, He'd be like. You, as fast as he's pulling the trigger to see if those, so especially those second shots, if they're going to be left or not. Mm-hmm. He'd have enough control over that um, with that three times as heavy trigger pull. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I think Jay is also an anomaly in the world. I think he's a cyborg. Just doesn't want to tell us. He's, uh, he's amazing. Yeah. I like Jay a lot. Jay's a good dude. I like Jay. Um, Jay's a good dude. Jay, I know you're listening, so love you, buddy. We know that we're listening when, when it records, when it airs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He, so, he sometimes gets behind. He'll tell me that, but it's okay. Go, dude, I'm first. so podcast like i said been telling you i had to listen to some to kind of figure out what your style and whatnot was going to be kind of where you're at in the industry but like as you know i I sponsor steve anderson's podcast i'm so far behind on his podcast my shop used to be over an hour away from my house and now it's 10 minutes from my house and i used to use that time to listen to podcasts and you can listen to three or four a day when they're only half hour 45 minute podcast and you can stay caught up no problem but now i i don't have that drive anymore um, so I, I'm, I'm way behind on podcasts. I literally like just on the way down to Utah, I listened to the one where Steve was in Anchorage with me last summer. That's how far <laughs> behind. So okay. you're not missing much. Although Steve's got a chock full of knowledge. Sometimes I unfortunately feel the way that, uh, it's like, Steve, we talked about this already. New- yeah. New- but I tell people all the time, I was like, yeah, I listen to Steve's podcast. If you don't know what to do, when to do mm-hmm. and get that mentally burned into your subconscious, like, it's a, you're going to listen to them for a couple months and then you're going to start feeling like there's a broken record going, but, but that's what you're going to, that's what you need to get that stuff into your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And, um, I tell people all the time, I think the mental rehearsal is probably, and, and I've talked to Steve about this, probably as much or more important than actual physical dry fire. Because if you don't mentally rehearse what you need to do and when you need to do it, you you can't do it physically when the time comes anyway. So you can make some serious gains just mentally rehearsing what to do and when to do it. And, oh, yeah. uh, huge, huge advantages. And I mean, I, people talk to me or whatever. I, I, I sponsor, like I said, I sponsor, I'm wearing a shirt right now. Right. But mm-hmm. I don't, I personally don't dry fire hardly ever, but because I'm, I'm invested in the sport with, with the business. I think about the stuff all the time. I, I design a lot of stages. I think stage design is a good thing too, for people. They want to learn how to, to if they want to be able to mentally rehearse stages, man, getting the, getting the little 3d things and um, designing stages and looking at them that way and how you would move and, and whatnot and planning your reloads visually on a miniature stage uh, is, is, is that mental rehearsal that Steve always talks about. You can do it literally with the parts in front of you on the table. Mm-hmm. And that it, stuff will make gains when you're actually trying to stage plan at a match. Oh, absolutely. Like on Saturday was like the fifth 
because this is today's the ninth for anyone actually caring when these are actually recorded. Um, <laughs> I set, I helped set up a match. Like I, I joined a, my local club yep. uh, and we were setting up a match and it was really interesting because then it was when it came time to match day, at least you was, you had a real idea after you set up the stage and you're trying to figure it out for like every division, how they're going to shoot it. You can kind of get that mental process down. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like that same concept with the 3d stage, like on your table. Yep. But it's, it's another layer of like, Oh, you put up the walls. You're like, Oh, you know where the targets are going to be at that point. Then you just kind of piece it all together. It's. Yeah. You should already know, or they should already know with the rich stage read for the stage plan that they're going to build, whether it's a legal stage or not. Uh, for USPSA, other stuff we don't we don't care about the, the quantity of rounds per 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 array or per position. But um, but on that also be you can be you got to be kind of extremely careful when you're setting up stages. Don't try to stage plan while you're building the stage prior to a match because there's definitely such a thing as being over informed. Oh yeah, uh, I've done that multiple times because I, I go all over the country and help set up matches. I learned the hard way to not plan to try not stage, not try to stage plan and look at a stage from that aspect while you're setting up a match beforehand, because over informed too much information is definitely a thing. Oh yeah. Over uh, what over, information overload, you know, it's just yep. over. You, know. you got, you know, too many options of what you can do and then trying to nail it down and, and it'll give you a false sense of, uh, I guess, confidence in, in, in what you could do on the stage. And um, basically you have, you have the stage so memorized that you think you can go faster on it than you actually can. Mm-hmm. And, um, especially a stages that flow really well, but have a lot of partials, like you can really burn yourself oh, yeah. um, doing that. So you, some stuff you think you can take on the move when reality you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Or you sh- or there's no advantage. Like a lot of people are like, well, I got to shoot it on the move. Like for example, there was a stage in the match I shot on Sunday where everyone was like, oh, you got to take this on the move. I'm like, why? It doesn't benefit you. You could post up and shoot all these targets from here and then run to the next position and just don't have to worry about shooting on the move or getting bad hits because if you're planted there, you can just wail on all these targets. True, but the the, down, the downside of that is when it comes to the top, the top like Jay, mm-hmm. Mac, Max and Max and JJ and all those guys, they're going to take that stuff on the move. Well, that's probably true. I don't know. We'll have to do a test. Well, Jay's our guinea pig. We'll just use him. <laughs> yeah, those. Well, yeah, those those guys. They're they're. I mean, they're awesome. I mean, it's amazing. But but how much they shoot compared to how much we shoot? Mm-hmm. I mean, when is when is the last time someone took nationals that doesn't actually shoot or train or instruct full time? When is the last person? When was the last time someone took nationals that wasn't full time in industry? Hmm. Not in a division that I know. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe revolver, but uh... <laughs> I don't know um, what Pogi. I don't know what Pogi does. To be honest with you, the guy who won revolver. I don't know, but, but he might, he might be a regular de- dude. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The level of dedication it takes to get up there and compete with those guys, it's it's a whole nother level. I mean, you can hit GM having a day job, but to get to that other top 5% to be at a hundred percent with those guys. It's, it's a huge gap still. And personally, I don't ever, have, I don't have that desire to be there. Um, obviously I like to get better and, and I do because I'm invest, I'm invested in the sport all the time. 
and I shoot, I'm at the range a lot. I don't practice a lot, but I'm at the range a lot. So mm-hmm. in turn, you get better on time in time anyway. Oh, absolutely. Now, speaking that you're at the range a lot, um, if I'm not mistaken, that's the what Birchwood is, is yeah. the name of name of the club. And you guys yep. set up these amazing winter or probably any falling, your falling steel match. So it's not all falling steel right now. The range, I mean, I have tons of steel that I loan to the range mm-hmm. because they don't have enough steel. And we pretty much don't use the popper and the, the poppers in the winter because we don't want them on the ground in the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they so, just get beat down into the ground and it's a pain in the ass. No, beating them down is not a problem, but they're, it's just bending over with gloves on to reset steel is just, just not really fun. Mm-hmm. So we use uh, we use my rhinos up on top to put two by fours. They're so much faster to reset and so much easier in the body not have to bend over. But yeah, I run an action steel match once a month now. Um, we're actually going to have one this weekend again on the twelfth, so they'll miss it when this repairs. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it's become we don't have a lot of shooters here, but that match has already become one of the most popular events um, at our range. Mm-hmm. So looking forward to this summer, we should be able to get some, some good numbers, like 60 plus shooters on a, on a weekend match, uh, which we, we barely get that for the sectional match up here. So look, definitely looking forward to the summertime and, mm-hmm. and we can get there, but no, we run static steel and falling steel. Um, once we get a little bit more of my rhinos and stuff like that, or come summertime where we can use the poppers, then we'll have some static steel stages and some all falling steel stages. But then the all falling steel stages are one hit per piece of steel, where the static steel stages or a mix, uh, which we've been doing mixes now. So squares and rectangles get two hits, like a paper target, mm-hmm. and round, rounds or round score zones like poppers are one hit, and they're gonna either be they can be static or they can fall as well. So some of the stages will um, right now we'll run like squares and rectangles with rhinos for falling steel. And then some of the other stages will be all static. The, the rounds and the squares will all be static, but it'll be two hits on squares and rectangles and one hits on rounds. And uh, those go really fast. If you don't not having any reset, you can go real fast. We've been running, um, we've been running basically a group of shooters through up to 20 people so far in less than two hours on four stages. That's pretty efficient to show up and shoot four stages. Oh, that definitely is. I mean, I don't think anyone could say they shoot four stages in less than two hours. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're dual base. So one, one stage, one base really, what we get to use is really narrow. So it's got, it's got a dual purpose stage. It'll have fallen steel incorporated in like stage one. In stage two, we'll leave the rounds down and it'll be all the squares and rectangles. And a lot of times we'll do like a three per hit on that one to keep the round count decent. And most of the time we'll do that with a retreat as well. So it'll pretty it'll pretty drastically change the stage. We'll have a different start position. So the, the course itself, walls and everything are the same on that one for stage two. But uh, the, the stage uh, criteria is different. And then we have the other bay is big and wide, and we put two full stages up, one on the left side, one on the right side of the bay. Mm-hmm. Normally one is static steel, and the other one has fallen steel in it. That's and then we can run two squads, one in each bay. And I think this summer we're going we're gonna to play with the numbers in the summertime. And, and right now we've got a limited to 10-person squads. But I think in the summertime we'll probably push it to 12 to 15 per squad. So we might be able to do up to 30 in a two hour time block. Cause we're, we're starting late and ending early still right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So I, we can handle more numbers as the weather gets better. Yeah. When you get more sunlight, I mean, like that's the one cool thing about Alaska. You never have to sleep because the sun's always going to be up. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. It's already, the, the sun's already getting pretty late. Like sunset here is already like seven o'clock. Um, and it's still obviously a lot of snow on the ground, but in the winter in the summertime, yeah, you, you will finish at 10 o'clock or nine, whatever on our Tuesday night, USBSA match. And that's, it's still sun's in your eyes. I mean, it's the sun's still way up. Mm -hmm. It's kind of one of those odd benefits or disadvantages from living in Alaska, right? Yeah. A couple of years ago when Tim was up here, the, uh, the Fairbanks club where they used to run the fast matches. And it's still a Fairbanks action shooting club or whatever is up there. They ran a solstice match a couple of years ago. We did a, we did a Tim Heron class up there and then they did that match the same weekend. And literally we started shooting the match at midnight and I got the videos from it and you can't even tell that it's at night. Yeah. <laughs> it's that is pretty cool. I mean, my wife, she's been to Alaska like four or five times on different trips and you know, it's always been fun. She always loves going up there and in the summertime and, you know, doing everything that they were doing there because they'd always do trips to like Denali. Oh God, they'd Homer. Oh God, no, I'm not. Now I'm gonna blink. Whittier. Oh, yep, yep, kind of all those places. Yep. Yeah, we got Max. Max and Linda are gonna come up uh, this summer shoot the sectional. A few other people coming up from out of state to shoot it. The end of June. Linda really wants to do some fishing and sightseeing and stuff like that. Max doesn't seem to care about that stuff as much, but. uh they're going to come up here and do that. We may or may not do a class. He kind of doesn't care if he does a class right now at this point. He's such a busy schedule. Mm -hmm. But it'll be it'll be cool to have him up here. Oh, it definitely hopefully, would be. Hopefully he will decide still to do the class. I got people that really like to take a class from him. Yeah, because, I mean, who wouldn't want to take a, a class from the national PCC champion undefeated? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's such a nice guy, too. I, I, I really, really enjoy working with him. Mm -hmm. every every uh, interaction i've had with max has always been positive so he's always got back to my my messages and whatnot so it's always good have you tried to have him on the podcast i have not asked max maybe uh maybe max will listen to this but I'll, i have to reach out to him i do want to talk to him about uh his pcsl as well and what his ideas for that is because that's that's a really cool concept not well not a concept it's a really good idea because it's a, a league with <laughs> safety rules that make sense that aren't arbitrary or dumb and it's an in different match styles it's kind of cool because you were just there for what the carbine and after dark right i've been to every single one that he's done except for the after shot show one which was technically just a local match but i've helped him run all of them i've set up all the targets and everything on them and and they run they run good the attendance on this one was a little bit lower there's only like 60 or 70 for the the day carbine match and another 50 for the, the after dark match, but it ran, ran great. And uh, so the next one he's going to have, he's canceled the three gun one in the summer showdown one. So the, the PCC only match, I think in November is the next, the next one. And then there'll be a two gun championship in December. Hmm. And Why that'll be the close. Mm -hmm. You've been all of them. That's kind of cool. And you're always putting those steel, those far as steel out and, make it a little bit challenging. How do you, how do you like the cobalt range? It's beautiful. It's unfortunately, it doesn't sound like it's going to be available for too much longer, another year or two or whatever. Um, and then it's going to get developed into housing or whatever is what it sounds like, but we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. 
but uh, we know that's what they're talking about doing because the uh, cobalt sold off like the majority ownership of that property um, to some buddies of theirs or whatever. And I mean, they're into making money, but they're already, but cobalt's also already looking for another piece of property because they, they really like what Max is doing as well. Plus they want to function fire range for themselves that uh, for, for testing all their stuff. So hopefully they find another piece of property. They do. I've already told Max to let them know I'll come down there and run equipment, move some dirt around, build the bay out. We're probably going to rent a dozer before the PC before the PCC championship also and do some other work at the current range, even though it won't, won't it won't be there for long. But we're going to move some dirt and build some other bays and berm, put some other berm work in before those two matches this fall. That'd be pretty exciting, that's for sure. Uh, every, but everyone, because everyone's talked really good about those matches. I'm not going to lie. Those matches of. Uh... Yeah. I mean, they, everybody should try to go get, do them, but definitely even like the, like even this carbine match, of course, well, it was, it was generally carbine, but you could shoot PCC in it as well. Uh, but the PCC only match too, just something that people want to be aware of if they're going to go do is plan on shooting 50 to 80 yard shots with your PCC and from standing, like unsupported. And that, uh, that's an eye opener for people that don't do that kind of shooting. Oh yeah. A lot of people go and plink it, you know, 10, seven yards, maybe 25 if they feel frisky. Yeah. yeah. He has an eight MOA rule. So um, at, at 50 yards, the smallest the target can be is four inches, but that's pretty small and he won't have anything. I doubt he'll have anything at 50 yards, four inches at uh, for the PCC match. But you're for sure going to see stuff like eight inch rounds at that kind of disc at 50 plus yards. Mm-hmm. So, and there was some at this match too. And I shot the night match. This first time I actually shot one of the matches. I've helped with all of them and but shot the night match this time. Um, and it was a lot of fun. But those, those long range targets uh, for the PCC are, are tough. They yeah, nope. talk big time. Oh, yeah. Now, what, what, what kind of rifle did you shoot at the night match? Uh, I got to shoot Max's, Ma- Ma- Max's rifle, actually, because I didn't bring any gear. <laughs> <laughs> so he kind of just told you, here you go. Here's a rifle. Here's some ammo. Go, go shoot. Here's the rifle. Ammo. Here's some mags. <laughs> go shoot it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's not that I didn't have good equipment, but I'm not used to shooting, especially offhand at 80-yard targets with a PCC in the dark. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's definitely different. I mean, I shoot night matches here in the wintertime with our league that's at, the, at Birchwood, but, but of course, you know, nothing like that, right? Nothing. I mean, we got the most you're going to see is like 20 yards steel, and it's not going to be that, that difficult. So mm-hmm. 50 to 80 yard steel. It's uh, pretty tough. Definitely better off with a rifle for some of that stuff than a, than a PCC. Oh yeah. But, now go ahead. But they're great matches. I mean, everybody should definitely look into them. That PCC match is going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, and I'm going to bet that most of the national heat will be there because it's probably tuning up for for nationals. Well, USPSA PCC nationals. I don't know when that match is because I don't really follow USPSA nationals because I don't plan on attending any anytime soon. Um, so I don't know. But I know the two gun nationals is mid June. Mm-hmm. And uh, Max is coming to shoot another match with us uh, in Illinois. That's Spartan 300 match, which is a ton of fun. Another one people should really look into shooting. Um, and he's going to shoot uh, PCC and open 
in that match, getting ready for two gun nationals. So he'll shoot both guns in that match, one one each day. Mm-hmm. So that's a fun match. Yeah. Now, how how was it? In, was it interesting having to deal with kind of like the chem lights and a little bit of lighting at the night match? Or they were literally just some little. I'm assuming he got them off of Amazon. They're just some little battery powered work lights mm-hmm. with. Uh, they call them a gel strip, but uh, just like the different colored sheets cut into strips and taped over the light. Um, that was it. And then, of course, we had the glow sticks on the on people. So we knew knew if anybody was down range or started shooting again. We do that same thing here every week during the winter for our low light matches here. Mm-hmm. Well, safety first, right? You don't want to be ended up with some tragic accident because. Yeah. Yep. But yep. doesn't Birchwood have like big stadium lighting too? Yeah, we'll turn that off. Oh, well, that's true. They'll run the league up to uh, to the seven o'clock time block. We'll have lights on. They do one hour time blocks. It's only one stage. You shoot twice, basically two strings um, for the for the weekly league. And then the eight o'clock time block during the winter, they just turn the lights off, and you're running weapon mounted lights. And of course, you got a glow stick on you. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you shoot it again if you're in that time block. Gotcha. So that's literally my only low light experience was, well, that's not true. I've shot some other um, night match steel matches in Washington and whatnot in the past, but you either want it to be really cold or, uh, or really warm, preferably not windy and dusty. But that was, the dust was an issue a little bit at Max's match. Um, if you shot the targets in the wrong order, the wind was blowing the dust across. So you really wanted to shoot from either like left to right. That way the dust was blowing from right to left and the dust wasn't covering up your targets. That made a big difference. Um, yeah, you didn't want to shoot. Like you had there, some of them, you had the option to shoot some paper targets right in front of you. But if you did, you had dust in your way to try to shoot steel far away. So you had to kind of plan which order you're going to take them in just based on the dust alone. But here, if you're at like right out like 32 degrees and you're shooting in the cold, you get a lot of smoke from the condensation not necessarily from the gunpowder, but it's changing your field of view at night. And your, your, of course, your weapon light reflects off all that, that fog that's, that the gun generates. So mm-hmm. those are the challenges of the light. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought about the dust being an infa- uh, a factor, but that kind of makes sense now that we th- when you're talking about it. It really yeah. messed mess up. One stage, going to war, trying to, trying to shoot out a piece of steel through a dust cloud with a red dot. <laughs> yeah no no bueno no bueno yeah now i kind of want to bring this back let's talk a little bit more about you the you know the, the the business and uh manufacturing right now what is your biggest challenge um with being a manufacturer in alaska um cost of steel cost of steel getting it here getting the steel here and then and getting it costier cut for a decent price uh, and consistency of quality, trying to get it up here. The cutter that I've been using here for a while has been having issues with his laser. Some people probably here in this probably know that. Um, we've had to put a lot more manual labor in, into making the parts presentable. They're cosmetic functional, no problem, but cosmetically they're, they're, they're not as nice as what we want. So we've had to put a bunch of extra work into some of the recent stuff. Uh, he's recently got it more figured out now. The last couple of batches of parts we got been back to the way they should be for laser cut parts. But uh, we're trying to grow. 
And uh, so we're looking for, we're looking and talking with some companies out of state to start producing stuff for us out of state. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how that goes, where, where it goes. Yeah. Cause that could definitely be, be able to change the game. Right. Would you, would you still have to ship the steel then into you or kind of go a little more mm-hmm. hands off? Ideally it would be pretty much a hands-off deal where, so we're talking with, with one other manufacturer now that I would literally just give him the order, forward him the order and uh, he would fill it. He would build it or have it already in stock and he'd ship it from there. But of course my margins aren't going to be as good. My discounts and sponsorship programs and stuff like that, that I do with guys are going to have to be less because we just won't have the margin uh, by doing it all ourselves. But it'll enable us to to go on the road and do some other things that we want to do. Um, if we get that set up, so we'll we'll see where that goes. Right, because I could imagine that being a manufacturer and you know being the boss and the only one working there. Well, for the most part, working there is you know any day you take off is a day that you're not making money, kind of thing. Yes and no. I mean, you got to have those relationships and 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 connect contact with people to mm-hmm. to get buy your stuff. So whether we're working in the shop or, or working at the, at the match, it's all part of the game, mm-hmm. but being able to, to, to not have one suffer um, while the other one takes place would, would be nice. So. Oh, absolutely. I could, I could agree to that. Now uh, what's um, what are some of the challenges of living in La- living in Alaska in general? Uh, it gets cold, gets snowy. <laughs> uh, other than that, it's no different than living everywhere, anywhere else. We mm-hmm. all the same amenities that everybody else does. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say that there's any challenging, the challenge as far as the business goes is bulk orders. Yeah. When some orders 20, 30 poppers or whatever, getting that out in a cost effective way is, uh, is a little harder, a little more time consuming because we don't want to, we're not going to ship it in flattery boxes. We're going to cut one piece popper plates and, and then that has to go out on a pallet. So then we're, we're shipping it back to Seattle and then it's going over road after that. And yeah. that, uh, that can get expensive and time consuming. Oh yeah. And then they've got to be able to accept a pallet of some, some, some way of accepting that pallet. Yep. Well, well the shipping companies, you can have a truck that, that has a lift gate. So as long as they have a flat surface that they can unload it to, that's it. Yeah. Then they open the pallet and they can, break it down from there and put it away mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily need a forklift or anything on the other end yeah just have to have that flat surface and do, would you think would people have to specify a a lift gate truck yep yeah. that's but that's no big deal all all the shipping services no have that option yeah 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 we just shipped a whole bunch of stuff to boulder rifle club here a couple months ago a few months ago i guess now and uh we and i went down there and worked with henning Henning with Henning Group, and helped them start an Action Steel match there at their club, and uh, and it's it's their most popular match already now too. They're running it once a month on the third weekend of the month, I think. Nice. So yeah, my full club runs that match now. They got a ton of rhinos, not very many poppers, but they did replace most of their poppers with mine. Um, but they use a, a lot of rhinos mm-hmm. and then they got stuff to run steel challenge too. They're using it for the action steel match, but they're looking for a local guy there who's interested in steel challenge to run a, to run a monthly steel challenge match mm-hmm. there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And those rhinos are definitely, 
definitely the ticket to that kind of match. And even in general, like. That's a good segue. We can go into that. Yeah, go right (laughs) ahead, man. I Go right ahead to that one. Yeah, so the Rhinos, most people know already, is that uh, KD played on top of two by four. And um, using those is so much more efficient when setting up a match. And the reset time is so much better. The range officers uh, and the match directors went on just need to know proper setup. It'd be nice if USPSA would actually fix their wording on how KD plates should be used and set up. But the biggest thing is, like, uh, we can obviously ask JJ and, and other people like that, um, would you rather have a popper or a KD plate, even if you're painting between shooters? And really, shooters should want KD plates, and match directors should do it too, because as we all know, there's nobody's actually making a living shooting these matches. And if you, if you have an issue with a piece of steel, you're way better off if that piece of steel is a KD versus a popper. Because... As long as there's evidence of a hit on it at all, you get an automatic reshoot instead of getting screwed over by a popper that didn't fall mm-hmm. because it wasn't main, most likely because it wasn't maintained properly by the, by the staff. Um, and I'm not trying to dig on staff because we, 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 lo- <laughs> we need them to help keep the matches going and uh, we appreciate them doing the work, but part of doing the work is checking your equipment every couple of squads or whatever, making sure stuff stays within calibration especially full-size poppers. Many poppers, you can get away with a lot a lot more lean on the popper, and it's still going to go over with minor, but big poppers, they need to be maintained, especially when you're talking nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, but on that note there, too, if we're painting between shooters, why are we worrying about calibration of steel? Technically, that steel shouldn't even have to fall unless it's an activator. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just wasting time. If we're if we're gonna paint between shooters and we're gonna reset steel, why why are we even doing it? Um, as long as, if it's not an activator, that thing that thing might as well stay up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much faster, especially if there's no activators on the stage. You just walk around, squirt a little paint on that spot, and keep moving on. I mean, it, it would speed up matches like nobody's like crazy. It'd be amazing how much faster stages would run if you weren't actually resetting. Yeah, you wouldn't have to pick it up. You wouldn't have to paint. You know, you just have to paint it. You wouldn't have to pick it up. You don't have to make sure that it's set properly because it's just a plate or or whatnot instead of a or popper. even a popper. Even a popper, you can pin it. My all my poppers, you can throw an extra pin in it and make it static and not have to reset it. And um, of course, you can easily rig other poppers up to do the same thing mm-hmm. um, and, and and keep them up. And it's just so much so much faster. Oh yeah, especially for for match efficiency, that is definitely cool. I know. I think what are we using is your activator stage on the activator on that stage. Is that off of a, a knockdown plate on which stage uh, for the Trident match? Um, the Trident match is going to have, well, it only shows one mover, but it's going to have more than one mover in that stage. Um, but I think we're going to activate one with the ripper. So the KD plate behind the, behind the Rhino plate. And I think we're going to activate the other one with the popper. Um, I have to talk to Zach. We, it's up to him. I mean, we've got plenty of either one there to do it. Um, normally Jay brings his gear down for that match too. So it loans it for that match. So Jay's got a bunch of gear. So yeah, they're, and they're buying more. I mean, I just shipped in more stuff before I left to this last match. So yeah. 
it is definitely cool that the Trident guys are, you know, they're having Area 7 there at their club too. So, I mean, it's it's kind of nice to see them be able to flex on all of everybody with their, or at least Zach in his garage can flex on everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's that gear is like separate from Area 7. That that stuff's not going to be in Area 7. They keep that pristine for the their Trident match, for their fundraiser match. Nice. So, yeah, we're sorry to talk to Zach about that. They're, they're going to, they're, they're planning to like pull steel and borrow steel from other clubs in the area for area seven. So we don't know what they're going to get. He's trying to push them to get some more steel for the club so that they have it for their club matches as well. Mm-hmm. But we don't know what happened there yet, but, but, but they're working on it. Well, and even like, even if they ask the club to, you know, buy 20 new poppers, right. It's nice to have one type of popper, not have three different manufacturers of poppers, and be like, oh, this one you flip it this way. This one you got to pick it up a certain way. This one you got to yep. you got to clap your hands and dance in front of it to make it stay up. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, I won't be able to get there for the area seven one. I'll be there for the Trident match. Actually, we're squatted together, so that's going to be a fun squad. It definitely will be. I will get to meet Jay in per. I get to meet like everybody in person for the first time, so it's kind of cool that way. Yep. Yeah, that's a fun match. That crew up there is, is just awesome to work with. So I'm I'm definitely looking forward to, to that match. It's actually the only USPSA match I actually have on my schedule right now to go help with. <laughs> All the rest are Outlaw Action Steel and Max's PCSL matches. Um, I'm sure there'll be some other ones. I mean, I'm sponsoring some other ones. We, we, we just sent some gear to uh, South Carolina sectional. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have some certs and stuff on that price table there, but I won't be there for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure I'll end up in some other USPSA matches throughout the year, but they're, they're, they're not my focus for sure. Right. Yeah. It's definitely when, when you're in the steel business, you want to be in those kind of steel matches, right? Oh no, they use not just about the steel. I mean, I, I mean, I have a lot of other props that that don't use steel. So, Mm -hmm. um, no, I mean, I think there's, uh, there's, there's a lot more to be had with some of these other practices and, and, and match styles. And I think a lot of people should do them. They're also like the, the actual steel matches like we did in Boulder and like we do here. They seem to be way easier for people to go try. So, I mean, we're getting way more new shooters at these action steel matches versus a USBSA match. But very quickly, they turn into USBSA shooters as well. We get them in both. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't seem to be as scary for people to come try action steel as it does for for usbsa they just think there's too many rules and and quite frankly there is um not that they need to be scared of those rules because generally most of them aren't going to affect uh, obviously most people as you know too it's most of the time just gunpoint in the safe direction don't load your gun until you're told to and for the most part you're going to be pretty good right there mm-hmm. oh so, yeah mm-hmm. the the superstition or whatever of that it's that it's hard to approach a USPSA match is, uh, is, is wrong, especially on the local level, um, bigger matches, obviously they should probably have some experience on local matches before they want to go to a state match or an area match. But most people, I mean, as you know, the shooting community is great. People are going to help you get through the match, no matter what skill level you're in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, and if, if something goes wrong, they're going to lend you a piece of gear. If they've got it, they're not going to be like, no, it's my gear. You know, they'll, they'll hand you what they can and get you yep, back I, in the fight. I always have spare guns with me and belts. Um, I used to even carry a left-handed rig spare um, <laughs> for people. And of course my three twenties, I can, and 
couple minutes, swap the mag release around for a lefty and let him use the gear. But uh, actually, my it used to be a GX product like on your hat there. Used to have a left hand one there. But then a buddy of mine got some 320s, had me build them all up for him, and he, and he bought that left hand rig off me. So now I need another one. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's pretty cool. Fair belts there, but it's really nice. The new shooter comes in and he happens to be a lefty to have that. But and you, I mean, as you know, you got three or four hundred dollars sitting there in a belt to have a nice setup. Oh yeah, even 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 if you don't even have a quote unquote nice setup, it's still it's still money in those belts. You could have like bottom feeder gear and it still costs you like two hundred bucks at least. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to buy a cheap, cheap, big, cheap belt, and even cheap mag pouches are still twenty bucks a piece or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even a cheap holster, 50, 50 or 75 bucks or whatever, but it's not even worth it to buy the cheap stuff as we know once yeah. you get into it. Yeah, I, I do live by the, the buy once, cry once kind of mentality because it, it, it saves you in the long run on the small gear, at least. I don't know. I don't know about some other things, but you never know when you <laughs> buy it until you buy it, right? Like, okay, like, I've been thinking, like, I'll say this first I've been thinking about getting a P320 AXG Pro. Yeah, yeah, that's the the aluminum frame yep. with the the replaceable grips. Well, well aware of it. Um, been debating getting one because of another project that I've been wanting to do for years. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm hoping they come out with a full size grip module for it mm-hmm. instead of just the compact grip module, the short short dust cover. So I'm hoping they come out with a long dust cover. Um, there's also the new uh, aluminum uh, Icarus grips. Oh yeah. Those are- as well too i got one of those um from when i helped at the sig 365 match at the sig academy last summer they gave me one of those as a staff price so that was pretty cool i don't know if it's actually uspsa legal for bigger matches because it kind of has a little bit of a built-in magwell on the back three quarters of the the magwell has has a little bit of a flare built into the grip so i mean i run it here for local matches sometimes to play with but uh i don't run in the winter because it's too cold (laughs) it's because it's aluminum yeah but uh, but it is nice. It's a nice grip. So um, I expect that they'll have some more um, definitely USBSA legal grip modules from Icarus pretty soon. They're doing a lot of stuff. You see it mostly in the carry guns. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that they they make a full size for that AMG or AMX or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been I've been looking at that, and it's um, I do actually have a friend who turned an Icarus frame into an open gun, so they. So they drilled, yeah, they drilled and tapped it and put an, a mount on it, put a, a big hollow sun on top of it, and it's <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Huh. Yeah. You have to see pictures of that sometime, but I've got some other plans along those lines that I've actually talked with the guys at Icarus about doing as well, but it's those guys are into making production mass massive amounts of uh mm-hmm. of group module. And uh, I don't know how many of what I want to do it's gonna gonna sell, but but I'm uh, I'm gonna try to make it happen this summer, sometime either way. So that'd, we'll see. That'd be pretty cool. That'd be really pretty cool. Yeah, I, I do like what Sig's doing. They're do, they are innovating. I mean, besides that, you know, they're a pop, they're very popular branded gun. I mean, they are changing their product lines. They're listening to consumers and yeah, yeah, they have, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> since I switched to the Sig, I've, I haven't looked back. It's been great. Mm-hmm. And working with the guys at SIG has been great too. They've got several, several of my targets. They've ordered a few things, few orders from me now. So I'm 
probably going to go back there here in a month and help them with another match that they're doing and uh, may or may not get back there to help with the three, six, five match or not. There's a big two gun match supposed to be here that I'm going to supposed to help with as long as it happens. So mm-hmm. we'll see. how that goes. We'll definitely see how that goes. Now we talked a little bit about the Ripper, but I kind of want to know where'd you come up with the idea for the Bigfoot and the Ripper? So, um, as everybody knows, those big two foot by two foot stomp boxes are a real pain in the butt to reset. And of course they're super bulky to move around the range and, uh, they're not fun. So I started looking at, uh, I was going to build basically a miniature stomp box. That was going to be like one foot by one foot. That'll fit in a flat rate box. Um, or even just a half size one that would fit in a game board box. But then when I started looking at the, the mechanisms required to actually do what it needs to do, it really didn't take that much space. So, um, so yeah, I, I just started engineering it backwards on what's necessary and to do it and made it super, super clean. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I can ship six stomp pedals in one large box. They're so small and probably even more than that on rippers. Give me one second. Let me grab out. The new housing for the rippers doesn't have the wings as like the stomp pad does. So, I mean, that's it. It's just a bar. Mm-hmm. And the spring housing and everything goes right in there. So once, uh, like I said, once I figured out what was necessary to, to do what it needed to do, everything else was just wasted space. And I just cut it all out. Mm-hmm. And I've only actually had one complaint on it, um, on the stomp pedal. And it's uh, from a very well-known shooter, but I won't mention his name. But <laughs> he complained that it was too small. And my, my argument to that was this game is, is, is about shooting, but it's also about movement and uh, foot placement is very critical and all this stuff. So, like, if you can't step on that and know where your foot's going to be, it's, I, basically, I basically just squash that and let that, let that go away. And it's only been one person who's actually complained that it was too small. Everybody else loves them. They love how easy they are to reset. It literally takes two seconds to reset. So, mm-hmm longer to bend down to it than it does to actually pull the pull it and reset it mm-hmm. now how and many the, okay go ahead the ripper, the ripper's even better because you get to pull straight down on it mm-hmm. instead of um so that that helps a lot when it's mounted vertical it's even easier to reset oh absolutely now how many um activated well how many activated targets have you tried at once off of either the ripper or the stomp box i've only done two so far at a time but this summer, I'm probably going to build a stage kind of like a chain reaction kind of deal and let it do multiple to see how much I can get away with. Um, but, I mean, we've literally had 60 pounds of weight on the kickstand for and it'll pull it right out. And we've drug cable through pulleys and like completely across one side of the range to the other under like a bridge and all kinds of pulleys and stuff. And no problem. It, it'll yank it. Hmm. so it's like a 10 and a half inch spring inside that thing fully compressed so it has about five five and a half inches of of actual travel pull once you release it and as long as you just leave a tiny bit of slack to to let it go the plunger has weight in in it so once it once it's released it's hard to stop it It, it's it's got a lot of it got a lot of energy Mm mm-hmm 
and definitely uh, something that's very repeatable, you know, consistent, consistent reset. You don't have no weird tabs or anything to flip open or whatnot. So, yeah, we got a lot of guys using them. They'll, they'll just screw it down to a board and drop and let the poppers fall on it instead of hooking a cable to the popper. They'll just let the popper fall onto a stomp activator because it's easier to reset and it's more consistent and you don't really even have to worry about a delay. So, I mean, basically it's, if you hit major or minor is going to be how fast that popper falls, obviously. Um, but as soon as it hits that activator, the activators are, are basically instantaneous. Once they're activated, the, the, the kickstand is going to be pulled out of the swinger or whatever mover immediately. Oh yeah, definitely. It definitely be able to boom, 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 done. Yeah. So yeah, I'm going to see how many I can get away with. Uh, Max is doing a stage for berries and there's going to be a couple swingers. Each, each, each ripper is going to activate two slingers on it. Um, so I got to talk him through how to, how to mount the pulleys. Cause some of them are going in opposite directions as well. So we'll have to use two pulleys instead of one coming off the back of the two by four, but no big deal. Oh yeah. Just after, as soon as you get it, I'll, you know, figure out how you want to do it. You just route the cables and figure out how exactly you got to use your hardware. Right. Yep. And I got that super cool cable clamp. A lot of people have probably seen that. We've still quite a bit of those electrical connector mm -hmm. people should watch that video it's once they start using those that's that's the way to route cable and make them adjustable super nice mm -hmm. and that's a is that where is that at facebook instagram it's on both yep okay. yep and there's a different video on the web page i can't tell you exactly what page it's on right now probably linked on the swinger page i'm not sure but the hardware's on the webs the, the clamp the clamps are on the hardware but i'm gonna start uh, probably start making cable kits already made up with one of those in the middle so you're like you could just order the whole cable it'll be swedged on both ends have a swivel on it and adjustable in the middle and ready to go up to mm -hmm. a certain length oh that'll be handy that'll make make uh quartermasters a lot uh, a <laughs> lot less hassle there's it's so nice once you get once you see how these work and set it up it's they're so much nicer than saddle clamps and, and stuff like that mm-hmm so even even uh, other ranges should be well. People should be looking at that and changing how they wire things in general. Yeah, the match director for the Washington State match just ordered twenty four of them things to <laughs> set up every mover at the match is going to be with those cable clamps and got three more three more activators, a couple more stomp pads and rippers going to them. I've got a lot of gear, a lot of gear down there. Well, that's awesome. Now. Mm -hmm. Where in the heck did you get the idea for the Holy Monkey or the Wheel of Misfortune? Um, well, the Wheel of Misfortune, there's that old, I don't even know what it's called, that triple tap video or something like that. There's a big old wheel in that thing. Um, but when I started looking at wanting to make a Texas star or something like that, um, one, I didn't want it to be a five star like Texas star because I'm in Alaska and we had to make it bigger than Alaska or bigger than Texas. So we made a, so I had to go six. So I only made literally two stars that were five arm stars and then went to made a six arm, six, six hub. Um, and then, yeah, I just, everything's like a, a rector set with my revolver series and my swingers. So you can put paper on it, steel on it, clay pigeons on it, whatever you want. And uh, yeah, just built the wheel, but it's a way more compact than, than that old school video triple tap video or whatever and then the holy monkey was like i wonder what would happen if i just i have this long swinger arm i wonder what would happen if i 
bolted another one to it. It's another counterweight to see what it did. And uh, <clears throat> it didn't work very well the first time I did it because I just had it set up on a concrete floor and it about, about fell over on the, cause it, the, the energy and the way it swings, it, it has to be anchored down really good mm-hmm. with the way the whole monkey, holy monkey works. So yeah, that's had a lot of controversy around that target. Well, and I was even talking to, who was I talking to? Oh, it was a shooter. I think they shot dragon's cup last year and they were like, the in that match was a tame monkey. Oh, oh, was it a tame monkey? <laughs> Uh, no, I set up a second one as a display on Bay 7, Stage 7. I had another one set up, way more aggressive. And, uh, I mean, there's a reason there's an activator stick with the with my adjustable deal at a certain height. Like, that's the max you can have it when I have a set like that. And people would just go pick up the counterweight and let it go. And then the target would smash the ground on the second presentation and, like, break the sticks and smash the target because they lifted it too high. I mean, it's completely tunable. And uh, once you set it up, you want to start low with the counterweight and let it go. And then, all right, I want to go farther than that. So you lift it up a little higher and you just tune it that way. So the length, how high you lift that counterweight and how long the sticks are um, and whether you're going to do a single target or double up the target on the swinger, all that makes a difference. So once you set it, if you're going to run two targets on it in the match, make sure you tune it with two targets on it. Because once you put that second target on there, it's going to change the speed. So whatever way you're going to run it, make sure you set it that way at the initially. Mm-hmm. And you'll get the same presentation every single time. So it's a very repeatable presentation, even though people... It's 100% are- repeatable. It's gravity and, 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 and weight swinging on bearings. It does the same thing every single time. Because mm-hmm. I think, what was that? I think... People who had never seen the Holy Monkey before, I think it was Area 1, 2021, were having Lush. There mm-hmm. was two on there on the same stage, activated by one popper. Mm-hmm. It's pretty nasty. I mean, I could, I could imagine, especially when they really don't come to a rest. Well, I mean, I guess they do if you really want to wait that long. How long does You're it take? 10 minutes yeah. or longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, uh, they're pretty wild, uh, but they do the same thing, and and uh, I can't mention names on some of the people, but uh, they reached out afterwards and like, yep, that thing does have a pattern and, and I need one to practice. And this is this is some of the best shooters in the world that mm-hmm. uh, message afterwards and want to want to practice. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're 100 percent consistent. You can watch every shooter. There's tons of videos. I mean, that was probably the most posted video from Area One last year. Um and you can watch everybody's videos from activation and that those, those things do the same thing every time mm-hmm. you do want to keep the target dry and you probably can't, you might not be able to tell in the video, but every time we do that, we try to put a cover over the swinger in the rest in the set position. So the, if it does start raining, the only time it's out there in the water is when it's activated. Um, so you do want to try to keep the targets dry because the weight of the target does make a difference. So you don't want to let it get too wet. And um, if you do, just swap them out so you can keep it consistent. Oh, a hole being punched and a pacer replacing it, not a big deal. But uh, you definitely don't want to let it get saturated with water. That will affect it. So that's just a matter of maintaining your targets during a match, depending on what your conditions are. Everybody everybody should know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's a good point you made that uh, 
you know, if you want to, if you want to have two targets on there, you better be testing it and setting it with two targets, not just one. And then yeah. for the best <laughs> part of the problem in dragon's cup. And I mean, it didn't matter because they started the match with two, but they, they originally had set it up and tuned it with one target and it was more aggressive. Uh, but before they started the match, they, they had one target on to witness it and have how they wanted the target to look. But then when they went to start, start the match, they put the second target in, but didn't adjust it accordingly after that second target was put on there. And so it was pretty mild. I think that was stage two or three that had the Holy monkey on it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was pretty mild because they stuck the second target on there without adjusting the, uh, the counterweight to, to adapt account for that extra weight. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it still, it was, it was fun. It still wasn't a normal swinger, but it could have been way more aggressive than what they had it set up. The ones at area one last year were extremely aggressive. Yeah. They're basically touching the ground on the second presentation on both of them. Spicy. Now, if someone yeah. was interested in getting a holy monkey, can they use it as a regular swinger as well? Yeah, you can, you can just, the second pivot point is literally two bolts and you can just take it off and then take the crossbar off of that, put it on the other one. You can also adapt it to a steel plate swinger with an extra part. Um, but yeah, it's, you can convert it. Jay mostly uses his actually as a regular swinger because he knows he's going to see regular swingers more than holy monkeys. Mm-hmm. So he most of the time has it switched over to a regular swinger. And that thing with that long arm and a heavy counterweight that the holy monkey gets, that thing will swing forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can definitely uh, dry fire multiple, multiple swinger presentations on it. No problem. Yeah, there you go. Full size dry fire swingers. No more of those itty bitty ones, right? Um, most of those guys in Maine and those guys, Zach and Mark, I don't know if Chris has his own, but then Jay, I mean, those guys all have their, all have full size swingers to practice on. Mm-hmm. And we sell a lot of swingers and our swingers super portable, even yeah, a basic swinger. I think right now is like maybe 300 bucks. We had to raise the price because of steel prices. We had it down to like 250 bucks on uh, actually Jay's request. Like I want to see a swinger down like near 200 bucks, like 200 bucks ain't going to happen, but I think we might be able to make 250 happen. Mm-hmm. So we did that for a while, but then the price of steel just went through the roof and, and the price had to go up on it, but it's still pretty affordable and you can, you can easily put it in the back of a car and you can carry it around and buy the target sticks on the range. It's super, super easy. Mm-hmm. That, that is definitely for sure. Now, which is awesome. Everyone likes swingers. Everyone should have a swinger. Go buy a swinger. Everyone go buy a swinger. Yep. You we need sell, I probably sold 30 of them already this year. Sell a lot of swingers. Mm-hmm. Now, I just shipped, like I said, that South Carolina match. I just shipped them two new ones. There, mm-hmm. There'll be one in the South Carolina sectional. Well, well, there you go. They can have a spicy swinger then. Now, they um, make it. Now, something I wanted to talk, I forgot to bring up, was uh, the AMG timers. You had new ones at PCSL. Yeah, so I work a lot with direct with Alex on stuff. Uh, Thanks to Steve. Steve Anderson got got us put in contact with each other a couple, three years ago after while during Shaw's show. Um, with some other stuff I wanted to do. So I, anyway, got, he put me in contact with him, been working with him ever since, helping him with some other development and some other testing, cold weather testing and whatnot as well. And you, there's been little posts with uh, with the new LED one that we use that I made posted a picture of here during, during the PCSL match. 
Um, this was the first match, low light night match that that used the new the new OLED timers. So there are LED lit back screen, and those are going to be released here, available to order here pretty soon. He's still he's just he's just getting all his components in to do that to be able to produce those. But in cold weather or in dark temperatures, they're the way. I mean, we've been running them up here like 10 below. And where the LCD timers won't work with the liquid crystal, mm -hmm. the LED work perfect. And they're nice and bright, really easy to read in the in dark conditions or indoor, indoor ranges. They work great. Yeah. Now, is there a way to change the brightness on those LEDs? No, no. It's just on. Just one no. setting on the I don't know if that's something he's going to change. We haven't even talked about that. Um, but he, but it's, I mean, it's not bright enough to like light up any of the stage or anything like that when you're mm -hmm. running a low match. It's not that bright, but it's super easy to read mm -hmm. in the dark. Yeah, or uh, indoor, where the lighting's kind of bad indoors and it's hard to read the LCD sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's super read the LED. Yeah, now he's got cool colors. Wow. Cool different color skins. When I got mine, it was I only was those was like red, blue, and black. It's all your options, right? Yeah, some of the new colors were because I suggested them. Uh, mainly the orange one. The green one was he had already had the green one when I started working with him. That was one of the newer colors, but uh, now he has bright orange. And I think he's gonna make. I think there'll be some more colors here in the next the next run of covers. But uh, I love the orange one. Orange one's awesome. Well, it makes it super easy to find. Like it's super. It's super bright. You can yep. find it in your dark range bag with everything else that's black. Yeah, I was using the red one before the orange one came out, except for the LED ones. I put those in green and they look just awesome because they're great. The screen is basically green and the green on there works. Looks good. Mm -hmm. Well, and then you also were uh, you, you flexed off and had some cool 3D printed tags. You uh, you've really liked the 3D printer lately, haven't you? Yeah, I've got a couple of those and uh, uh they suck up a lot of time, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they're fun. It's a whole different way of designing things for those. But, and I need to get those built and offered on the website um, just with either my logo or AMG's logo. And then we're going to offer custom logos that people want it. Um, I've built some, made some for like the Boulder Rifle Club. They got a bunch of AMG timers after we set that stuff up with them. So I made them Boulder Rifle Club little dog tags with numbers on them mm -hmm. so they can keep timers it's super nice at a big match to actually be able to have your timer numbered <clears throat> and those silicone cases are super nice with amgs but they're silicone so you can't stick anything to them you can't really write on them nothing stays on them because they're silicone which is nice but you need to you want to be able to number your timer right well especially have a timer if you have to keep a timer and a tablet together right so you give you give them timer one and tablet one there you go don't lose either of them <laughs> yep it's easier, and then you, then you know which one's missing, and you know who to go to to find it after the match. Yep. So it's a very <laughs> nice accountability factor. Now, you've been playing with the 3D printer. Has, has it changed how you design things, like going to, like, steel? Um, no. The 3D printers haven't changed, but I switched to 3D CAD software a couple years ago now, and been able to assemble stuff and you can see it and you can like you can track when it changed when i started having 3d renderings of pictures um on my posts and on my website being able to go in there and put the parts together in a 3d model in the computer before ever cutting a piece of steel has definitely saved 
um, time prototype and stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. And the software course is smarter than I am. I mean, you can put physics into it on the, on, on the program and make it swing and do all that stuff on the computer. Um, and, and even troubleshoot it even farther. Uh, I just don't know how to do that. And I don't really plan to take the time to learn how to do it. Right. Yeah. A little too much effort, not not effort, but just too much, uh, too much that you don't need. Right. Yeah. It's like video editing and, and stuff like that. I just, I just don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's one more thing to learn. It's hard to get good or proficient at enough stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's definitely a thing of being a, a jack of all trades, but a master of too much. Right. Yep. Yep. That's for sure. Now, how did you even get hooked up with Steve in the first place? From another local shooter here, actually, who has already listened to his podcast, uh, Bill Perch. He's active member up here. He's also the one who directed me to Tim Heron as well. Tim was the first pro shooter that we were working with. And um, he was recommended by Bill, by Bill Perch and by several others when I put a post out looking for a shooter. They, there, there was multiple people recommended Tim, so we did that. Um, and then when Steve uh, wanted to do the shooting range at his house and I was looking for a steel sponsor to outfit that range, um, people thought of me and directed me to Steve. And, and honestly, that's been the best relationship of any sponsorship I've done uh, mm-hmm. at all. Um, I get more people saying in their, in their order that I heard about it on Steve's podcast or, or called me or whatever. Um, about that they heard it there than, than anything else I've done, period. Mm-hmm. Well, and every time that Steve brings it up, he wants you to change the, the phone number, right? He, want, he doesn't want me to change the phone number. I thought it, he wants to call it call shot instead of pew ding. Uh, he may have said that before. I, I won't, won't deny that. But no, I mean, the, everybody likes the pew ding phone number. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes it easy to get, you know, to figure it out too. I, yeah, it's I don't, pew ding. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot, I can't remember if there's many companies that just plug it like that, you know, or I, I some people are probably millennials nowadays. Don't understand how, you know, numbers in typing, like texting and shit. Where we get those letters at. They're not on the phone. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. No, Steve's great. We've had him up here in Alaska a couple of times as well. Um, I'd love to see him travel even more. He's, I mean, he books quite a few classes, but not nearly as many as some of the other instructors out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the way he teaches for all skill levels is, is really is really the way to go. I heard on one of your other recent podcasts with uh, maybe Adam Maxwell, maybe, mm-hmm. that you don't really do as much of the journal, maybe, as, as you should. No, I don't. I, <laughs> I don't but... either. Not, I'm not trying to beat you up on it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, but I did, I did have a insider phone call with Steve after that recording and now I'm going to start journaling again. Mm. Yeah. For me, it's, I don't know if it's not that that I don't have the time. It's just the, the effort to sit down and start writing about it when it's like, you know, or you, cause like I'll do drive fire two days. Right. And I'm like, Oh, now I got to write two entries or I got to write a note about what I did in the first one, which is pretty much writing a journal entry and then writing a second journal entry when I put them all together. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I know I'm not doing everything that I probably could be doing as well for, for shooting, for shooting, for sure. And probably even for business. Uh, I'm not the best business person. I just have some good ideas and I'm diligent enough, persistent enough to, 
to work through it and make it happen. That's that's why we got out here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You you think you you're able to make it enough along the way, right? Yep. It's fun. It's not as it's definitely not as as good of a moneymaker as as my background doing dirt work and stuff like that. But but I'll take uh, going to the range and helping Max with a match or or Zach with a match over sitting in an excavator all day getting dirty. Mm-hmm. Dusty thoughts. Oh, I totally would agree. I mean, I don't run excavators, but I would totally agree. I'd much rather go <laughs> do things on matches. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I travel a lot and go help matches all over. And for me, um, it's and, and same kind of like with, with Max, like it's, it's at this point, it's, it's, it's funner to get out there and actually provide the service and help put a match together that people that everybody else enjoys mm-hmm. and make sure that it runs good and they have a good experience that's more important than, than how I do shooting. Like I have no problem going and helping Max for a week, build these 10, 12 stages and not even shoot it. And, but then the match goes off flawless and everybody has a good time. That's, that's more important and funner to me, more, more rewarding to me than me shooting the match. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, and, and, and but, and, and that's why my product has probably evolved more than a lot of other people's product is because I'm doing that stuff. I get out there and I see what problems they're having when they're putting matches together. And a lot of other, I mean, there's a lot of other companies out there that have done a lot for the shooting sports, especially in the past. Um, I don't think anybody's doing as much as I'm doing now, but even when they were participating and doing a lot of stuff for matches, a lot of, a lot of them weren't actually on the ground helping with matches. Um, mm-hmm. I go and help the matches and and I'm not just putting my steel together on the match on the ground. I'm putting everything, anything that they have, that they, that they already have. I mean, we've got to work with what they have to build the match. My priority of course is making sure my gear is set up uh, on the stages that have my gear and make sure it's all right. But after that, I'm there to do whatever they need me to do to help get the match going. And a lot of times I'm, I I actually work as Mr. Fix it at the match to make sure everything goes because because I have enough experience to figure out what needs to, what needs to happen to make, to make whatever gear work. So normally that's what I'm doing. And um, if you set it up, right, you should be really bored as Mr. Fix it. If you did your job, right. Oh yeah. But there is going to be that one guy who shoots and breaks, breaks the cable. I don't know. It's like, it seems like the last major match I worked. Marco. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, shoot, shooting, shooting cables. I don't, I don't know how they do it. The poppers here or the activators right there. And then like, we're going to shoot over here and shoot the cable on the ground. So put the cable. So at the December match at the PCSL December match, um, we had a popper falling onto one of my stomp activators mm-hmm. and it ripped the cable so hard because the kickstand was up high on this big steel plate swinger. And of course the activators down low when it ripped it, it's whipped it up in the air behind a paper target. So we shot the activator and then went to shoot this paper target and the cable had flown, <laughs> flown up behind the target and he shot the cable in the air. And we actually, he got it on video and we were able to scrub it and get a steel shot of it with the cable behind the target. And okay. uh, I'll give him credit for that one. At least he's not even at- <laughs> It wasn't at the ground. We, yeah. we didn't have any, yeah, but. Like at that December match, there was like 130 shooters over five days worth of shooting. 
and the entire repair list for the whole match was six line items that were really small things that we fixed. That's it. And this last match, um, there was between the day match and the night match, 110 or 120 shooters. And the only thing we repaired the whole match were two fault lines that got broke from being stepped on or whatever, being pushed on. And, uh, and we replaced one stick on a swinger before it broke. We didn't actually repair a single prop or anything the entire match. So setting it up right makes a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. It definitely does. If you take the diligent time to go through it, you know, and vet it and make sure everything works right, makes yep. life so easy. And a lot of the stuff that I, that I do um, when helping these guys with matches, and Zach will tell you too, it's, like, it's not because I, I learned all this stuff myself. It's because I've traveled all these matches in different clubs and learned different stuff at all these different clubs and some of it's good, some of it bad, obviously let the bad go and, and keep the good and bring it out there and uh, try to try to obviously give credit where credit's due. If I can remember where it was uh, mm-hmm. one of the things like that, for instance, is if you're going to use mini poppers and you want to put them close together and not stagger them, you need to put something between them because the, the frag is going to get between them. So a couple of years ago at area two, um, they set up poppers, minis really close together, but they had a piece of plywood between them. And you really went from the shooting position. You couldn't see that piece of plywood because it was just on edge to you, but it kept the spall coming off the popper from hitting the other one and mm-hmm. made all the difference in the world. Um, otherwise they would have activated each other. You shoot one, it would have activated the other one, um, especially with forward falls. So that's just a little thing, learning stuff like that to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you don't want those range equipment malfunctions. That's for sure. For sure. So yeah, learning these little tricks from all over the place and, and, and putting them to use everywhere we go, it just helps keep the match flowing good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Jason, so we like go ahead. people buy our stuff and then I go there and I help set it all up and we share whatever wisdom I can and leave it with them. So that's, that's what we like to do. Oh, absolutely. The, as long as we can pass on that wisdom and knowledge and makes, makes the shooting community a lot better you know put on better put on better matches locally areas matches you know national level matches it definitely makes it a lot better yep now we're getting near the end of the show but i do have a couple more questions like uh oh who are you know you you might not have sponsors personally but you know businesses that you work with that you you know you promote and they they help each other out you want to share those with the the people well, like we said, we talked with about the timers already. We do a lot with AMG, bring those timers all over the place. Um, Steve helps us a bunch with uh, mental management and all that kind of stuff, talking with Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, Barry's gives us a discount for the shooters that I work with. Uh, if they want to run Barry's projectiles, we get some of their stuff. Um, I don't really do much of the sponsors, but I do work with people. I'm a dealer for gray guns. So we'll get a little bit of kickback stuff from them, but we push their product. Um, I deal in some other products. I'm an Athlon dealer. We don't use too much of their stuff on the competition stuff that we do, but uh, they've helped with our, the youth shooting programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a Jersey or list sitting here. I should have thought about that whenever I've listened to your other podcasts. I knew this question was coming. Yep. Uh, but, uh, you do carry hunters hd gold on the site yep yep hunters uh, brian's done a bunch for us as, as he's done for a bunch of other people there's only a couple pairs on the site i don't really move much on there so i'm probably not going to leave them or keep them on the site very much anymore um 
I've got some, a uh, couple pairs of the custom ones that are, that you probably saw on there, the hydro dipped ones mm-hmm. left. Um, but I just don't move them. People don't go to my site for that. So I'm probably not going to keep those on there for that. I mean, kind of keep using them. I love them. I love the rubies for the super bright days, the, but they're too dark if it's overcast, but the golds are the golds. You can get away with the golds in any, any light condition for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I golds are gold standard. That's what I'm going to say. Yep. Yep. They were good, but I, I really do like the rubies. Uh, like when I'm in Southern Utah or Texas mm-hmm. or whatever, and you got the super bright or, or Arizona and it's just super bright during the day, the rubies are really nice and they, they really make a red dot pop mm-hmm. on those, but, but I do find them to be too dark. I can't, I can hardly ever use them in Alaska. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think you could get away with that in Alaska. I can't get away with them. Well, some people enjoy them here in Michigan, but I, I can't, no, I couldn't see Middle, them. Being like late June, July, it could probably mm-hmm. be sunny days there, but but uh, I don't know. The heat and the temperature is different here, but it's it's not as bright, even on a bright day, as mm-hmm. some uh, southern Utah and Arizona, Texas, stuff like that. Oh, absolutely. Now, mm-hmm. oh, I had one more I thought. Oh, no. Maybe we have a whole it. list, but uh, I don't know what you're your limit time frame is trying to keep it under two hours i'm guessing oh a little bit um that, am i missing something important if i'm missing something important you better uh start spewing about it because well we don't have to they're definitely on that list uh, that we kind of talk, chit-chatted about before uh well we'll bring this one up it's uh uh well actually it was with zach grenier about uh shooting minor at the beginning and i kind of was getting uh, uh <laughs> When he, whenever that was going on, he was everybody, everybody was saying, "Oh, we got we were stupid for shooting minor when we started out." Uh, I disagree with that. Um, I think you should shoot whatever you got, mm-hmm. and shoot minor if you want to shoot Ironside Division, shoot limited, and not shoot low cap. I, I, uh, I don't think anybody should shoot low cap starting out um, because I don't think you should be worried that much about doing reloads and oh, yeah. shooting. And, and, and limited is not a bad option if you want to, because you want to shoot high cap to not be worried about reloads and shooting minor versus major doesn't make any difference until you, until that those points are going to make a difference in your, in your, in your match results. Like if you're going to win the match or not. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what that note was about. I, I a hundred percent think you should shoot minor and not worry about reloads and not worry about recoil starting out. You should shoot a high capacity division. And you should definitely shoot it in minor until you can learn to manage the recoil. Um, until points actually become a deal. Now, minor scoring in general, major versus minor, most of the best shooters in the country, especially in open, will agree that it should all be minor scoring. <clears throat> there, I know there's uh, petitions right now going on to, to lower minor or lower major power factor down to 150 or 155 or something like that to try to get within Sammy spec. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but arguably they should just get rid of major scoring completely. Um, there's only one division that it really should be there. And that's single stack in my opinion, because there's a capacity difference and a significant recoil difference between mainly 45 and nine. Um, not nearly the difference if you're shooting 40 versus nine. Mm-hmm. But an iron sight division without compensation, um, without compensators, 
and and the capacity difference nine versus eight or sorry eight ten versus eight in in that but for simplicity and competitive equity they should just eliminate major power factor altogether and that's uh there's there's definitely some people that disagree with that and think that oh no we need major but what major power factor encourages and, and the top shooters in the country i've asked them i've got messages from them um all it Major power factor encourages sloppy shooting, especially when you first get into like open. You see people just slinging rounds out there because they know they can't outrun the gun. Um, they ha- they can't outrun the clock with the gun. They have to shoot so fast, and there's not enough penalty in points um, that you could actually make it up fast enough. So you're literally, it's literally how fast can you run through the stage and punch two holes in paper while you're running through it? And it encourages really sloppy shooting. Um, especially locally and, 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 and for the most part, period, until you get to the top, top shooters, obviously Christian and JJ and a lot of those guys are all obviously going to run a lot of alphas and they're going to do it really fast. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people trying to get to that position are just running fast and they're not really getting good hits. And uh, if it was all minor scoring, it would open up the, the division for a lot more people to compete in it. And I mean, that's why we see carry optics doing so well is it's a minor division. It's super easy to get into. And, uh, and I mean, look at Nils. I mean, Nils can compete in the top shooting minor and limited or in carry optics. I mean, you put his scores in an open match with his carry optics gun and he's right there. He's shooting a five dollar gun. Mm-hmm. It's obviously it's obviously really not necessary. So it'd be nice to, to see that go away. The guns would last longer. The, the division would open up to a lot more people and a lot more platforms. So I think it would be a good thing. Oh yeah. I would definitely agree. I, I agree on lowering power factor, at least to a safe, you know, a safe, reasonable limit if they have to keep it. But, um, but yeah, I definitely I could see that being a possibility of eliminating my uh, major altogether. So, yeah, I'll go back to the new shooter thing here on our, on the list of notes. There are also encouraged dots for new shooters too versus iron sights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just so much faster to learn the dot, and it creates better myelin or muscle memory, whatever you want to call it, with presenting the gun. Um, because uh, because the dot floating up there, obviously in the in the optic versus iron sights on top of the gun it, it requires you to actually present the gun the same every time to even be able to see the dot so once you do that and you get used to doing that with a dot shooting becomes easier and then when you go back to shooting iron sights iron sights become easier because you're already presenting the gun the right way right oh absolutely you're not worried about front sight focus necessarily you're more looking at the target and <clears throat> all the good shooters now even with iron sights too they're mostly shooting target focus with iron sights too so mm-hmm. uh, if they're shooting fast they're, sh- they're shooting they're shooting target focuses anyway as they should be <laughs> yeah yeah so once if they learn to shoot the dot they could go back to irons like no problem yep so so everybody go pick up a dot gun and go back to your irons gun just, just do it <laughs> yeah it's i mean i couldn't i mean i shot irons just before I even started competing, but then it took me a while to get used to shooting a dot. Part of that was because I had a gun that uh, didn't have my natural point of aim with the grip angle. Um, 
but then once I switched over dot started using that, the only thing I found when I switched back to shooting iron sights a little bit was that uh, I couldn't use a green fiber. <laughs> I had to have a red fiber because I couldn't find a green fiber because I was so used to finding a red dot. But mm-hmm. that was it. I just switched the fiber, obviously, and, and I could shoot the iron sights, no problem. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we covered most of the stuff. We didn't uh, get too spicy. No, we never did get too spicy. But, well, hello, listeners. Uh, it's Manny in, in the future, but not really because it's editing post-editing manny so anyway i'd feel really bad i kind of skipped a step in the podcast with jason so i need to go ahead and plug where you can find him because i'm like i guess my brain was lost when we recorded um anyway so you're going to want to go to targetsusa.com you can find them on instagram and facebook um targets usa just one word um check out their stuff check out their um, page if you've got questions for jason there's probably Probably Instagram would be good. But really, you know, you do is call one eight four four Pew Ding. So one eight four four seven three nine three four six four. So go ahead and check that out. Um, if you got questions, Jason would be more than willing to answer your phone calls. Uh, I kind of forgot to mention it in the podcast, but I first interacted with Jason years ago when I first took my Tim Heron class, and we were talking about targets and. Uh, I called Jason on that number and he got back with me. So it was really cool, actually. So you can go Targets USA on Facebook, Instagram, uh, their website, targetsusa.com, and 1844PewDing if you need something. Um, Steve Anderson likes to call 1-800-1844-CALL-SHOT. But anyway, it's PewDing. So anyway, guys, go check out Jason and we'll wrap this one up. So back to the podcast. I want to thank the listeners for listening to our great conversation. I've had fun. I know Jason, you probably had fun. It's been a blast and we're going to have to bring you on back at some point. We'll probably have to do I it. Love, I love talking about shooting sports. Oh, it's, it's so fun. Make it grow. We've got a lot, a lot of stuff we want to do. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hopefully, so Jason, make- I want to thank you for your time. It's been a blast. I know it's a very difficult uh, time zone difference, but we, we make it work. Right. So. Oh, well, it's easy for me. I mean, what's not even six o'clock yet. All right, exactly. There you go. Harder for you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's getting kind of late for me, but anyway, uh, thank you, listeners, for checking out this episode of Manny Talk Shooting. I greatly appreciate your patronage and your listening. So, until next time, get out and do the things. And I'll see you on the next one.